Welcome back, gang. It's time to dive right back into the realities of werewolf romance. Ooh, say that ten times fast. Realities of werewolf romance. Realities of werewolf romance. Realities of... Okay, you were joking. Sorry. You <laughs> shouldn't have told me that then. Oh, yes, I know werewolves are not an actual reality, even though Sasquatch totally is. No! So if you're ready to deep dive into this wild and crazy world, we're going to be talking about all things fan fiction, traditional publishing, indie pubs, Kindle Unlimited, tropes, and some of our favorite romance books along the way. Let's roll it on up. That's a weird way to say it. I don't know why yeah, I, I said like that. that. I'm sorry. That was a good- <laughs> <laughs> hey there, romance nerds. Welcome back to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. And this podcast is brought to you by Northern Onondaga Public Library. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things related to Romance Landia. With that being said, please be aware that sometimes our material may be a little too sensitive for younger listeners. If you need to wait until they go to bed, we'll still be here for you. So without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I'm ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! Jackie. Yes. What do you call a werewolf that can't decide what to wear? What? A what to werewolf. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. I said it was the worst one. (laughs) That all that popped into my head was what not to wear with Stacey and Clinton. Oh, and they're they're doing it with a werewolf. (laughs) They're trying to throw her clothes away and she's just biting them. Oh, my God. That'd be great. That'd be great. <laughs> Oof. Well, thank you for that beautiful joke. I try really hard. Yeah. Do we have any housekeeping that we want to take care of before my correction? No, actually, I was looking forward to the correction because okay. I was right. I was wrong. <laughs> I freely admit, and I realized I was wrong like halfway through editing, but it was like a whole big part of the discussion we had, so I didn't want to get rid of it. Anyways, in case you didn't see my show notes from our last episode, dear listeners, um, I was wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> it happens a lot. Trust me. I'm really wrong a lot I mean, of the we time. we need a wrong jar, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our swear jar. Ding. It's not really going to work. Yeah, you're right. Click, click, clack. Okay. <laughs> Clickety clack. Um, so in our previous episode where we first started talking about werewolves, I had said that wolf hunting was made illegal in the United States in the 19th and 20th centuries. I apparently was living in an alternate reality. I have no idea where that false mm. memory came from. I'm sorry. Um, throughout U.S. history, wolf hunting has been allowed. And in fact, it was even encouraged in the 19th and 20th century and up through the 21st century. Things like pelt bounties and rewards have been issued to hunters for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, I, I was wrong. Sorry, it's your Jen. farmer bias. Well, I would be more apt to like go, yeah, let's go hunt the wolves because they eat livestock. They don't eat that much. Yeah. It's really coyotes that are the big problem. Oh, I hate coyotes. See, and speaking of, I mean, when we get into Yellowstone, there's been some interesting things with the ecosystem because wolves were taken away for so long and were only just reintroduced in the ni- in '95. All right, so I guess that's all the housekeeping we have, which is pretty good. Usually, we've got ten minutes of housekeeping. Like so last time, <laughs> I think we need to take advantage of this and just dive on in. That's true because we do have a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, where we left off in our last episode, we had just gotten to werewolves as they started to really break into the romance sphere, into Romance Landia. And this episode, we're going to focus on all things romance when it comes to our favorite Beastie Boys and Gals. Uh, warning: This episode is going to discuss some of the uh, spicy. <laughs> side of werewolf romance to an extent i'm not getting fired for this 
Also, Jen's mom is here while we were recording. No, she promised she'd stay away. <laughs> She's in the building. She promised Jen's, like, she keeping stay a away. wicked eye out, though, for this. Um, yeah, so there's we're going to be talking about some spicy things. So just, you know, heads up for that. When we start mentioning the word Omegaverse, if you're not into spicy things, go ahead and just fast forward, like, a couple two three four five minutes don't yeah. don't skip the episode completely give us those listener statistics mm-hmm. we we really like that uh but yeah okay shall we please okay so you first <laughs> first off if you remember you might remember hopefully you remember because hopefully you've already listened to our previous episode if not whoa 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 rewind go listen to the last episode folks um but in the last episode i had theorized that dennis danvers's werewolf book Wilderness was possibly one of the first traditionally published modern werewolf novels. It came out in 1991 and has had since a few uh, repubs since then. And it tells the story of a female werewolf and a hero who discovers her secrets. Good news. I managed to get in contact with Dennis. Woo! He is alive. <laughs> can confirm. First of all, that's great news. Yes. Very glad to hear He's that. He's a very nice man. Mm-hmm. Um, librarian powers for the win. That's Good all job. I have to say. Mm-hmm. I, I did some serious this Googling. Is why we got our degrees. Exactly, because we're really good at Google stalking people. (laughs) (laughs) Just replace reference class with that. Yes. All right. So I asked Dennis a few questions regarding Wilderness and the inspiration behind the book, what the publishing scene for Paranormal and Werewolves was like back in the day, and he got back with some excellent answers. So Jen, would you like to be Dennis or would you like to be the questioner? I feel like I should be Dennis and you can play yourself. Okay. All right, Mr. Dennis, keep in mind this is all via email, so we're totally making this up as we go. From what I can tell, Wilderness was the very first traditionally published example of a novel categorized as werewolf or paranormal romance. Are you aware of any traditionally published books prior to yours that fit this category or subgenre? When it came out in 1991, it wasn't described as paranormal romance. Frankly, the publishers didn't know what to call it. The earliest example of a werewolf love story I know of, and something of an inspiration for Wilderness, is Marie de France's Bisclavre. Bisclavre. Thank you. (laughs) Written in the 12th century. Very nice. We'll get into Bisclavre in a minute, Mr. Danvers. Okay. Did you purposely set out to write a romance novel, or has it remained more of a horror or paranormal book in your mind? That it would be a love story, as nearly all my nine published novels are. Nice little self-insert there. I love it. Was my intention all along. The novel is about what it means to be human. And in my opinion, we are most fully human when we love. I never thought of it as horror in any way. As a friend laminated. Lamented. Thank you. (laughs) It only has a body count of one, and he had it coming. He had it coming. (laughs) He had it coming. Sorry. The publisher was also loath to categorize it as horror, since horror was selling badly in those days. Interesting. The paperback reissue has pushed the romance connection with a traditional romance cover, etc. I worked in bookstores for years, and I have no problem calling the novel a romance, but as a publishing category, it may disappoint some readers. Some rules are broken. I have some thoughts on that statement. We'll get to it after this mini Mm -hmm. interview. All right, Mr. Danvers, have you or did you ever feel or have you felt, that was a weird way of saying it, Mm -hmm. did you, have you felt pressure after publishing Wilderness to write more romantic fiction? Not at all. I was pressured to write a sequel to Wilderness when the publisher thought it would sell big, but I wasn't interested in pursuing the story into a later generation. My next novel, Time and Time Again, which is reincarnation love story, Mm. was marketed as a romance, and I was sent to the Romantic Times Convention. 
My third novel, Circuit of Heaven, is also a love story. Romeo and Juliet in cyberspace. One love reviewer it. dubbed it. <laughs> but it was marketed strictly as science fiction. It remains my most popular novel. Later novels center on love stories with time travelers, angels, ghosts, etc. Some of my short fiction also turns on paranormal romance themes, such as all the snake handlers I know are dead at Tor.com. 30 years ago, when I wrote Wilderness, the genre lines were firmer and fiercely guarded. Now, not so much. End scene. Thank you, beautiful. Mr. Danvers. He's a super cool guy. Yeah. Those are fun And answers. he was, like, super quick to respond to. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Dennis, if you're listening to this. I, I appreciate it. to write this kind of a thing in the 90s. Like, yeah. reincarnation? I mean, that's just Also, neat. I mean, obviously, Jen and I, we were... I wasn't around yet. Um, Jen was <laughs> okay. barely around. Okay. <laughs> I was I was a twinkle at that point. I was definitely a twinkle by then. Um, I wasn't reading. It's yeah, we weren't aware of what the publishing scene was like. And as much as we can look at you know books that were published, the trends, all Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff, it doesn't really tell you what it's like. So it was nice having Dennis give us his words and let us know. I mean, like horror wasn't popular. That's interesting. Who'd have thunk in the nineties? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I feel like I live in a world where horror is very popular. I know. We've got and Stephen I would, King and I don't know, maybe it's like nostalgia looking back with like American Horror Story, but like mm-hmm. the 80s, you always think of like yeah. slasher films I and guess Michael Jackson. Maybe because they had so much horror on the news, because that was also when they were freaking out by satanic Serial killers, satanic. Drug use. Yeah. I mean, maybe they had enough scary stuff happening. Yeah. They didn't and that's need to why romance rose. Ooh, there's there a new theory for mm-hmm. you. Um, also, in regards to the ideas of rules being broken, I did like how he said 30 years ago when he wrote Wilderness, the genre lines were much more firm, um, mm. and now not so much, and rules were broken That's back beautiful. then. Jen and I, it's something we always say yeah. is there are no rules in romance except the HEA or HFN, yeah. and there has to be a romantic relationship. Yeah. That's, That's it. it for mm-hmm. romance. Um, I love that it's much more free now. Yeah. It definitely is. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why he talks about the book being republished. It was, I think it was like 2003 or something. It mm-hmm. got republished with like the like a romance cover. And that's the one Jen and I saw. We're like, yeah. oh, that's romance. Mm-hmm. But to begin with, it almost looked like a green leaf cover where it was like um, just a solid green background with like eyes staring out. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. The power of a cover. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, and a note towards uh, Marie de France Bisclerve in the 12th century. Um, here's where my medievalist nerd also comes out. <laughs> it is a Jackie episode. We're getting history. Really still, quick. Really quick. Yeah, really we quick. Really quick. About. We already did All this right. last episode. So Biscalave is a 12th century, so 1100s, Breton Lay. Um, a Lay is a story format that features short narrative po- poems, and it's related to romances, fableau, and folktale. Um, Breton comes from um, the ancient Breton or Britons, which are an ethnic group native to Brittany, and they stretched out across Europe and up into southern England, also the southern UK, the southern United Isles. Um, you know most of us can't read a map, right? Just like, England. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> One half of us can't read a map. <laughs> I was going to break it down into towns and everything, those accents, but I guess I won't then. Thank you. So, Bis Clavre itself, according to Marie de France, um, who was actually a very prolific author during the time, um, is supposedly Breton for werewolf, and it is distantly related to the French term le carou, which is a term that we, well, at least in southern United States, mm-hmm. is still technically used today. Although it's kind of tangential because, you know, Marie de France might have made the word up. We don't know. She says that she heard it, but anyways. So the Lay of Bisclavre tells the story of Bisclavre. How many times can I say it? Um, and he is a baron of Brittany. Mm. So many bees. 
who is well-loved but keeps disappearing every week for three days. So every week he's gone for three days. Finally, his wife confronts him. He explains that he's a werewolf and he has to safely hide his clothes whenever he changes. Otherwise, he can't return to human form. Disgusted, his wife conspires with a knight, her lover, to steal her husband's clothes while he is transformed so he cannot transform back. The knight does. The husband doesn't return. Lady marries the knight. Whatever. A year later, the king of Brittany finds Bisclavray still in wolf form and takes him back to his castle. Eventually, the wolf confronts both wife and knight. Wife confesses all. Wolf receives his clothing back. He turns back into a man. And his ex-wife and the knight are banished and the baron's lands return to him. What a howling experience. I know. Howling. It's howling. an interesting mythos because we can see like a few hints of other werewolf mythologies. Um, like we talked about in the last episode, for instance, you have to don clothing or like a wolf pelt mm-hmm. to initiate the change. Um, and then we have the outcast status where he's like living out on the fringes mm-hmm. and nobody can recognize him because he's a wolf. Um, and it's interesting to see parallels that Dennis made between the lays in his own book, Wilderness. Um, woman. So in this case, it's a woman who's the werewolf and she's on the outcast of society. And she has to like come to terms with her own reality, that situation. But I wouldn't call Beast Clave a romance. Fair enough. So, I mean, I can see the relationship there, but I, I disagree that that's a romance. I like how he reused it, though. Yeah. That was nice. Retelling. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's good. We should do a retelling month. Oh, that'd be fun. I love a retelling. Yeah, and it's super popular in romance. I mean, in genre and like genres in general, but yeah. it's just fun what people do with things. All right, so let's move forward into our century instead. Let's... Fast forward 800 years and look at what came after Wilderness by Dennis Danvers because even though it wasn't labeled paranormal romance at the time, it most certainly in my mind is one of the earliest examples of traditionally published werewolf romance. After that time, so after 1991, werewolves, sorry, I did that so many times in the last episode too, (laughs) werewolves really start making moves into the romance scene as the shifter genre really gains attention. I am having a hard time today, folks. I am so sorry. Well, it's okay because it is hard to say werewolf over and over and over and over and over again. Especially some people already So the shifter subgenre. Oh God, don't be Jim Carrey though. No, I'm sorry. That was Sean Connery. <laughs> okay, I don't All know right. him. So shifter subgenre is largely what the werewolf subgenre itself actually fits into. Mm-hmm. And this constitutes all manners of creatures, not just werewolves, but also things like werecats, bears, dragons, honey badgers. Last time we talked about sharks mm-hmm. and tigers. Really any creature. Yeah, basically it's just a shape, sh- God, shape shifting creature. I'm so sorry. Who has a human form in one hand and an animal form in the other. They can be either born or made like vampires. They can be cursed. They can have a choice. They can have shifter parents. All sorts of things. There can be a force change um, where they don't want to shift into the quote-unquote monstrous form, but they're forced to, like the curse. There can be a voluntary change. Um, For instance, those shifters that have shifter parents or um, kind of inherit it magically or some sort. Um, And shifters tend to live in family dynamics that typically call back but don't exactly mimic the living situation of the natural animals. So originally there was an argument that werewolves mimicked Mm -hmm wolves we'll get to that in a second yes. jen has a whole big thing she wants to talk about um the only one i can say that probably doesn't mimic real life is dragon shifters sadly i haven't read that one ruby dixon oh that one yeah well yeah because it's dragons like where is she gonna go dragons back to that exist. oh my god i'm not doing this with you no why how are you the horse person i'm the ridiculous like <laughs> the ridiculous one 
<laughs> I have no idea. I spend too much time on my own. It's probably Clip. the answer. <laughs> All right. So, as we move further forward, and as the romance genre, and especially paranormal romance and shifter romance, continues to grow in popularity, we have the impact of 9-11, um, so September 11, 2001, and popular media. As we've said in both our vampire and history episodes, if you haven't listened to those, definitely go give them a listen. Apologies for the audio quality on the vampires. We hadn't yet learned what we were doing with ourselves. Um, 9-11 had a profound impact on the romance genre. Readers started wanting bigger plots, better villains, morally gray heroes and heroines, world-saving plots, and even spicier books. And then we have the further influence of movies and TV shows like Twilight, True Blood, Interview with a Vampire, Underworld Franchise, and all those big early 2000s things. And Paranormal really blew up. Yep. Okay, you don't have any? Okay. No. I gave her a prompt. I was like, do you have any thoughts? And she goes, yep, okay, cool. Next. She really wants to rant about Omegaverse later, I guess. No! (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, that's just a good summary, and it's things we've talked about. So, you know, we can just... Also, I love all those, like, early... I don't like vampire books much anymore, mm-hmm. but I love those early vampire movies. Interview with a Vampire? Clutch. Mm. Okay. Okay. I like True Blood. True Though Blood they ruined good. it in the last season. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. They, like, there was blew also it that, to shreds. Um, yeah, they did. There was also that, uh, the Canadian TV show, Bitten, I think it was called. It was oh, yeah, by um, Kelly Armstrong's yeah, book, right? Yeah, it was based on the books. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, they've had a lot of good vampire kind of films. Yeah. Teen Wolf. I forgot about Teen Wolf. I love that show. Mm-hmm. The TV show. The movie was good, too, but I really love the TV show. Yeah. Style Stilinski you're adorable and uh you know there was obviously vampire diaries yes so as it does with everything those pesky teens had to get their shares and i say this as i was a teen during this time period and i was Mm -hmm. like i want paranormal no Mm -hmm. um werewolves vampires all manner of paranormal really started shifting more from the ya side or more towards the ya side from the traditional publishing side Mm -hmm. and i mean we still see this today um, I just started a brand new YA werewolf slash little red riding hood retelling. That's really good. So it's still going strong there, I think. And I think today in 2021, we see much more vampire and, um, especially werewolf in the YA. Mm-hmm. Um, but the adult publishing world, meh, like we talked it's... about, we talked about it in our paranormal episode. Yeah. It's typically the same authors who have always been around, mm-hmm. and they're still good. They're still usually publishing, honestly, within mm-hmm. the same series. So we have, like, uh, Christine Feehan, Patricia Briggs, Charlene Harris, Nalini Singh, Crowley Cole, Shelley Lawrenston. And I know you know more, Jen. <laughs> I mean, those are pretty much the big ones. I mean, you yeah. got Gina Showalter, Kelly Armstrong. Yeah, Kelly Armstrong. I love Kelly Armstrong. Uh, I really love... Actually, no, you did list all the ones I love. Yeah, good job. <laughs> it's funny because you, it's, I feel like it's much rarer to have a book only about werewolves. Yeah. Really, all of these mythical creatures end up kind of getting thrown into like their own cinematic universe where mm-hmm. they're all paired off vampires versus demons versus like, witches versus swamp yeah. monsters. Like, it's very rare outside of maybe the Kindle Unlimited spaces mm-hmm. to see a series that is just shifters. They always throw in all of these kind of political things and i think that's why i don't read so much of the traditionally published because there is so much Mm -hmm. i have a hard time like focusing i'm like no i want more of just like the werewolves yeah or i want more of just the angels i don't want this whole panoply of Mm -hmm. everything see and i love that like i love that one of the things about chrisley cole is she's gonna throw absolutely everybody into her immortal series and just see him duke it out oh now she just did a spinoff of the immortals Mm -hmm. uh warlord yep so. No, that's Gina Showalter. Oh, that's Gina Showalter. Yeah, no, uh, Chrisley, Chrisley Cole's Cole next one, one is going to be Mon- as uh, one of her characters, Monroe. Monroe? Oh. It's M-U-N-R-O. Monroe. It is Monroe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Monroe. Um, 
but yeah so that leads us perfectly into the indie space thank you jen i Good try segue. really hard beautiful you rolled that segue perfectly <laughs> all right <laughs> this is when indie pubs and kindle unlimited really started gaining traction i would say probably around like 2014 2015 um in my opinion as a literary professional who went through the whole ya to new adult trend in real time i think that as the traditional publishing God, here we go again. Traditional <laughs> publishing scene shifted more towards <laughs> YA werewolves. The spicier kind of shifters and the more adult spaces went into the indie space mm -hmm. like Wattpad, AO3, and online publish. Is it AO3? A03? Yeah, the other ones. Well, because it's archive of our own. Totally. Okay, so AO3. Yeah. yeah okay. So that works. Um, and online publishing such as Kindle Unlimited. Mm -hmm. This is the exact same thing we talked about happening in the Vampires episode and the Paranormal Romance episode. Um, again, go give those a listen. Jen, since you're more familiar with the fanfic spaces, can you please explain Wattpad and AO3 sure. for people like me? So obviously they are both websites that fanfic authors post their writing on. I've noticed Wattpad tends to be a little more original, but they will still have fanfic. So for example, if you saw the movie after, that was originally Harry Styles' uh, college fanfic that was posted on Wattpad. Fanfic is short for fanfiction. Fanfiction, yeah. Yeah. And then on Archive of Our Own, they have much more fanfic, but they still have original stories as well. Usually authors will write either their own totally original work, and rather than try to take it through like Kindle Unlimited or try to get it submitted, they might just throw it up on one of these websites instead. And likewise, maybe people will fold werewolves into the fandom, since, you know, this is the the werewolf episode we'll talk about the werewolves so maybe somebody will decide to write an alternate universe story where sherlock was actually a werewolf this whole time i love those yeah like sherlock is real popular so i love those <laughs> and sometimes they'll do the opposite and they'll put the entire cast of teen wolf into an all-human world yeah. it really just depends on what the author feels like writing uh werewolves do okay in fanfic I don't think it's the most popular trope, but they are used. It really depends on the fandom. Usually you'll see a werewolf in more of like an original content. And at the moment, Omegaverse is way bigger, but yes. we will get to that. That leads us right into the thick of it. Uh, into great. the thick of it. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't. Don't, don't try to buy time with a song. I'm terribly scared of talking about this on a library <laughs> podcast, especially since I just got yelled at for swearing. Um, but we're going to talk about it because you can't talk about werewolves, especially mm -hmm. today in fiction, without talking about this. It's and like that their is loose cousin. Omegaverse. Mm -hmm. Loose cousin. <laughs> I shouldn't giggle at that, but I'm going to. A little bit. Um, so, Jen, I cede control of this discussion over to you as the resident Omegaverse knowledge base since you I introduced me to it. Oh, God really sad that's my category why is that what i'm famous for on this podcast you're the one who introduced it to me i know well i really like it i'm front with you guys i've read this trope in fan fiction for a couple of years now i really like what a lot of authors do with it it's very unique it's really it's, it's really fun darker it can be it depends and okay. we'll get into that it's something that you can use as a vehicle to talk about a lot of things in your writing. Mm -hmm. So just to start off, I don't want to be fired. I want to save some meat for the scandal episode because there have been some crazy scandals oh in gosh, the Omegaverse yes. universe. So this is going to be done as carefully as possible. So just to give you guys a rough definition, this is taken directly from a court paper, which I was like, this has to be safe to say out loud again. <laughs> So Alpha, Beta, and Omega Dynamics, or Omegaverse as we are going to refer to it because it's quicker to say, is a subgenre of erotica and romance that is a collection of related tropes that tend to correlate in many stories. That is very broad. 
to narrow it further, they define stories in which humans are not only categorized by gender, but by a second dynamic, namely whether they present as alphas, betas, or omegas. Beta. Uh, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to say beta because I know beta. that's what I'm going to say the entire time. This divides them up into a dominance hierarchy in whatever universe they are set up in. So alphas are dominant, betas are just plain neutral and are kind of just there. They're usually not really focused that much. And omegas are submissive. So I have a question before yeah. we get further. Is this like a fantasy world? Can it be set in the real world? It's set absolutely anywhere the author wants to set it. Okay. It's really nice that you can make it like in a sci-fi, you can make it in a fantasy, you can make it real, magical realism. Craven? Yeah, so Zoe Ellis, or Zoe Ellis. Ellis. So Ellis. It is Ellis, right? E-L-L-I-S. Oh, I think the book was called Craven. Okay. Oh, that one. I don't know. Well, so there's Craven? fantasy, there's sci-fi, there's apocalypse, there's okay. like modern day. It's just okay. totally different world. Okay, sorry. Um, so yeah, it's almost a little weird to call it like a trope because it does fit. It's almost it, its own subgenre. It's kind of like... I like to picture it as a cloak and you just wrap it around whatever world you want to use it in okay. and you could wear it however you want to. Okay. Okay. So this is all very much based off the false wolf pack misinformation that we're going to get into <laughs> in a little bit. And it ended up carrying over all sorts of wolf characteristics into this world. So for the example, it's, there's an importance of scenting, there's heat cycles, there's pheromone exchange. Uh, to be honest, I'm a little unsure of where Omegaverse actually started. It is very, very recent. We'll talk about that in Scandals. Yeah, most articles that cite the Omegaverse started as a fan fiction device. It looks like it began in the Supernatural fandom in 2010. Yeah. And it actually started as Slash, which is a genre <gasps> of fan fiction that focuses on male pairings. Oh, I didn't mm -hmm. know that. Yeah. It was the first was because uh, the Winchester brothers are often shipped together. So and it was Castiel. Yes. Castiel. I wish it was Castiel. No, it was Winchester. Uh, there's I forgot some... about that. I'm rewatching all of Supernatural now, so this is perfect. I just want to. I'm very sorry to the technology department where I did all this research on my work computer, by the way. But there's some research out there that says this was probably inspired by male pregnancy fanfics, which is also known as mpreg. So it's kind of like an offshoot of that. Interesting. <laughs> offshoot. Okay, they now I need up, to read that because I need to know how yeah. they justify So they that. ended up combining a lot of wolf traits with mpreg dynamics, and Omegaverse was just sort of molded out of that. I think huh. there are a lot of uh, people kind of combining it. Interesting. But when I looked at the Omegaverse Wikipedia entry, just kind of <laughs> out of dumb curiosity, apparently there was a commercially published Omegaverse novel in 27, or 2007. God, oh my god, I don't know how to say years anymore. So... 2007 with caution by jl langley mm -hmm. when i looked at the summary though they just talk about werewolves but then some of the reviews do talk about this concept of omega and alphas i wonder if they're just because uh, i don't mm. want to get too much into nodding yeah no we're not we're not going to we're, we're gonna let you research that on <laughs> you your google. own folks google is free google is free just be careful i'm sorry in advance but i wonder if because alpha omega mm. like wolf we'll get into this again in a minute but like wolf to pack dynamics mm -hmm. everybody thought it was this alpha beta omega yeah. for a long time mm -hmm. and i almost wonder i mean we haven't read this i guess we have to read this yeah. now sorry guys um <laughs> if this was it focused more on those dynamics as opposed to omegaverse that probably we know did. today with the nodding and the scenting and the I, could, I bet it's mates. probably something that because you know fandom is so social and it's so give and take and people add yeah. on to each other's work all it's the like time man yeah so I imagine that maybe they started off with, okay, to get this guy pregnant, you have to have these certain characteristics and people just built off of that to create Omegaverse. Yeah. So I feel like if one, 
okay, this gets into the lawsuit, but I feel like if one person <laughs> had invented the entirety of Omegaverse, they would have claimed it, and I'd have heard about them. There'd be, like, a username. There'd be some Spill kind of... some tea. Just a little bit of tea. If somebody could claim that. If they we, could, we would which know they can't. They were. And, ugh, you know, there's a lot to leave on the table for the Scandal episode, because there is yeah. some... That's like it's Jen's big scandal she wants oh to my get God. into. I've been is wanting to talk month? about it forever. I think so, yeah, because we're going to do Amish for December, there right? There you go. Mm-hmm. So, you get, anyway, so next month we'll talk about all that. So I'm not exactly sure where it came from. It was either this original novel or it was genuinely fan fiction. Interesting. Honestly, I'm leaning more towards fan fiction. Maybe they were inspired by this novel, but throwing DCL. that out there, I want to just... Winchester. <laughs> I just want to be fair, okay? Regardless, this very quickly became a trope and spread to other fandoms like Doctor Who, Sherlock, and Teen Wolf. It's super popular, guys. I checked AO3 the other day, which, again, <laughs> was a great use of my work computer. I feel like I our only stuff checked. is flagged I only so checked. much. Okay. Uh, right? So as of October 1st, when I looked, there's over 100,000. 104,000. Thank you. 104,545 works tagged as Alpha, Beta, Omega, Diamond, Dynamics on that website alone. If you look exactly. at like Kindle Unlimited, mm-hmm. there's so many. Exactly. And it's. You know what? Good on Omegaverse for spreading so quickly for something that was just invented maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. So cool. So while it's not fandom specific, there are several characteristics it has to contain to be considered Omegaverse. This is where we're going to be careful. Okay. Uh, uh, Spicy alert. Sorry. Spicy alert coming up. Okay. So scenting is going to be a really big deal. Usually there's some kind of transfer of scent or or pheromones on each other's person, body, objects, things. Uh, Mm -hmm. They make a really big deal that, oh, they want you to smell like me. Okay. Oh, one thing. Omegas are going to go into heat, and alphas are going to go into rut. Why are you already grimacing? It doesn't get I was just thinking of the book that I read, and it was the the one with captivity. Oh, yeah. This is where it can get really dark. So pheromones are given off, and that prompts submissive or aggressive behaviors, depending on what kind of hormones are being... um, I'm not going to use the word I'm thinking. Biting is very big, especially to establish a claim. You find a lot of times that there is kind of like a mate, faded mate bond yep, with Omegaverse. We'll talk about that in a bit. I don't want to say it's 100% needed for one of these universes, but it happens a lot. And usually, instead of a wedding ring, you bite the person's throat to and signify. And their mark is a thing. Yep. That's their mark. Uh, there's usually a lot of fluids. Yeah. And finally, there is a concept called nodding, and I'm not explaining it. You guys can use the power of Google and keep me from getting fired. So I will say there are a lot of other podcasts that aren't associated with libraries can, that can talk about all of this stuff in depth. Um, so for instance, I just searched Omegaverse on Apple Podcasts and uh, big gay podcast type mm-hmm. popped up right at the top. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that sounds fun. Um, but yeah, just go search. Be careful, Sutra and Google. I provide you with a warning now. <laughs> Maybe go private browser. <laughs> Don't do it on your work computer. Uh, and go check out some of these other podcasts. Go AO3, Wattpad. Mm, whatever. Kindle Unlimited. And I am not, I feel like I should not get in trouble for saying these things because these things have been written in court cases. Yeah. Because again, there have been some scandals, guys. The judge who had to say these things <laughs> out loud. I can only imagine his head as he was saying them going, never thought I'd be saying this when I was in school. <laughs> What the but, heck has my world come to? So those are kind of a handful of characteristics that have to match. There's not a whole lot more I can say without getting fired. 
But the plots themselves can differ pretty dramatically. There's a lot of very dark universes where the alphas are the ultimate power and authority and omegas are second class citizens and have no rights. But the flip side is also true where they've made stories written where the alphas are at the bottom of the heap because they seem like out of control animals. So they're like, well, you can't control that alpha. So just no rights for you. Mm-hmm. You're okay. And some places it, is, it doesn't matter at all. And the plot is more about the awkward situations that their destinations put them in. Uh, at least in fandom, it can be straight up porn, it can discuss social justice issues, and it can also be these cute slice of life pieces. Mm-hmm. Or it can combine all three. Whatever the author wants. Typically, they're very popular for uh, male uh, MM pairings, male on male pairings, yeah. but there's still plenty of heterosexual pairings as well. I will say not as popular. Has there. Oh, that's interesting because all the ones I've read have been hetero. Yeah. I mean, those are the ones I read, to be honest, outside of yeah. Teen Wolf stuff. But I think... Those are the ones I see most often in Kindle Unlimited. It's just fan fiction is one of those interesting places where, for whatever reason, there's more queer relationships than any other kind. Which is awesome. It's amazing. I have a question for you, what? Tangent. Can Kindle Unlimited be considered fanfic? They actually did try to release their own fan fiction platform, okay. Kindle Worlds. Oh, okay. And it failed because nobody trusted them. Interesting. I <laughs> they guess had, you um, do have to pay a subscription fee in Wattpad. You like those things usually don't. Well, the thing is, it's if it's on something like Archive of Our Own or Wattpad, it's free. Yeah. So if it's original content, you can do something like where you set up a coffee mm-hmm. website, or you can set up like a website where you get paid tips. Yeah. But if you were writing fan fiction, you are legally, you're, you're not allowed to get paid for that. Interesting. And it's because of people like Anne Rice suing people like crazy. That's another scandal we could get into. Anne oh, Rice yes, like please, freaked I out. I no idea. Her and, um, with the, I don't yeah. know how to pronounce the Outlander woman, Diane. Gabaldon. Gal- she freaks out too. Really? She hates their guts. Yeah. Between the two of them. Like, oh, okay. That's we why definitely have to talk if you about ever, that next month. This is more of an older thing. It's a little better now because Archive does a really great job at protecting people. But it used to be that's why there had to be a disclaimer on yeah, every single. Like, I, I don't that. Own, I don't know. Yeah, because Anne Rice was like I actually going a lot after of people. And, stuff. Yeah, people. Anne Rice was actually going after it, suing people. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. that was one of the few things I really respect Stephanie Meyer over. Is yeah. she was super cool with fan fiction. She encouraged it. I mean, heck, we got Fifty Shades of Grey out, out of, of it. That. Yeah, I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I'm it just, just happened. That's what we got so. Um, yeah, we'll t- we'll, it is. we are going to be having a whole episode, a whole month related to like publishing, mm-hmm. and we're definitely going to be talking about indie spaces, yeah. fanfic. So, so look out for that. Amazon has tried, and yeah. what Amazon did was they got certain rights to certain platforms, and people could sell under those specific platforms. Okay. The thing is, though, they're contract was very very much like amazon owns everything you that yeah you that's the so, one thing so like can't really as you guys amazon. probably realized by now i'm going through my own publishing journey at this point and it's on the back of my mind that i'll turn to amazon publishing if knock on wood i'm not able to obtain like a traditional publisher mm-hmm. but i'm really loath to do that because of how much amazon yeah. owns the rights to mm-hmm. all that and pulling something off of amazon yeah. is like a dance in a song so there's your little peek into um, indie pubs. <laughs> but let's get back is. to werewolves and Omegaverse. Yeah. Where even was I? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, but you know what? I, I want to make this point. I know we're really groaning a lot over this, and I know people still like to make fun of fan fiction, and there's a lot of Omegaverse that is very easy to mock, and I do mock it because it is very <laughs> easy. But, again, I really like them a lot. They're really fun. There's so many things you can do within the world. And, yeah, they do end up – how do I want to put this? Sorry. I just realized okay. I did not write this correctly right. I think when you, especially when you get into the darker things, it ends up being more this exploration of something political. And it's more things about rights. And 
I don't know. I've read some really beautiful Omegaverse stories. Yeah. Is the thing. Because uh, because people have put these characters in these very, very strict kind of designations. And just seeing how people either come to accept those designations, uh, live within them, rebel against them. I think there is a lot you could do with that. And Happy too, or, like, hard. I think there's something for everyone in Omegaverse yeah. if you're not scared of some of the aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you do have everything from cute and fluffy like yeah. you were talking about, which I think I just saw one that was like his cute werewolf or something like that. Jen's smacking my sorry, iPad on sorry, things. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, but then I've also that. read really dark ones mm-hmm. like the Zoe Ellis one. Yeah. So I think Super it, dark. and I really like fantasy, so Zoe Ellis is perfect for yeah. that because it's set in a fantastical world. So I think Megaverse, if you've never tried it before and you're not opposed to some mm-hmm. of the themes – Go give it a shot. Yeah. Um, I recommend Zoe Ellis. That's on the darker Iffy. side. Iffy. Um, I did. I don't know. I do and I don't like her. The thing is, depending on what you want out of Omegaverse, it might be better to do the fan fiction than the original publishing because mm. it's very different for the original publishing. Uh, obviously, when there's this much popularity, like we said, there's over 100,000 stories out there at least of Omegaverse. There is money to be made. Yeah. <laughs> so the publishers have hopped in this. One thing that happened, thanks to Fifty Shade, was that publishers have started taking fanfiction much more seriously, and they've been snatching up popular authors. Oh, especially so, recently because of TikTok. Exactly. So now Omegaverse has made the jump to publishing. Some of it is original. Some of it is fanfiction rewritten. I'm not going to judge if that's right or wrong. There's also there's actually a concept th- uh, called um, you file off the serial numbers if you republish fanfiction. So oh. like, you just kind of strip everything that made it fanfic. Oh. You edit it a bit, and then then you're good. It's original. Interesting. Okay. So that's just where we are thanks to Fifty Shades. I can't, you know, it is it, it is what it is. So there's a lot of diversities in stories for queer Omegaverse, but yep. somehow, 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 heterosexual Omegaverses have gotten stuck in this dub con, non con That kind is of true. Yeah. It is so rare to see a male-female pairing that is pleasant, I guess I could say, that is light, that is not that is true. ridiculously dark and has a lot huh. of these nub con- dub cons and uh that's going to be explained more in our scandal episode because there have been yeah. some major scandals in the megaverse world they with really the woman have. who claims to Especially have started that trend. yeah all right well i'm glad you were the one who was explaining yeah. that thank you of course um i did just just download a new one that's gotten a lot of good like conversations mm-hmm. and reviews i haven't gotten around to reading it yet hopefully i will by the end of the month it's um shadow beast shifters by jamin eve and it's this mm-hmm. whole series that is it's again dubcon it's a hetero um but it's been on my tbr for a while yeah, and i love the cover it. so i'm gonna read it mm-hmm. probably this weekend now <laughs> thanks jen no problem all right so I think, i'm more than happy to help <laughs> i think that leads us perfectly into the discussion of the other types of tropes that we see in werewolf romance yeah, besides omegaverse mm-hmm. the good the bad and the what the heck is that so let's break it down first up i think we have the most obvious one at least to me mm-hmm. it's the hidden beast mm-hmm. so bear with me a werewolf is literally part man part monster or at least like part understood misunderstood monster in modern fiction right we all love beauty and the beast and there's just something about taking a literal monster and humanizing him or them excuse Mm -hmm. me with your love um it pops up a lot with monster fix yeah we talked about it in Mm -hmm. our vampire month yeah we probably talked about it we're gonna talk about it all the time we're gonna talk about it something that i think stretches across a lot of boundaries yeah it also has a lot to do with power i think okay um so for instance think about it this way werewolves can literally rip your head off with just a swipe of your paw right of their paw um 
and they're usually portrayed as very easy to anger. There's a lot of pack dynamics, even if they are false, which we'll again, we'll get to. And it frequently features a lot of fighting, brawls, bad boy biker trends, when that was hot, thank you, Sons of Anarchy. Um, and werewolves were usually these, they were, they were these bad boy bikers, right? Mm -hmm. They were the outskirts, they were dangerous. But with that, there's this kind of glimmer of hope and a possibility that the inner beast can be controlled. And that the heroine, because yes, it's usually the heroine who is the non-werewolf, would be the one that has this impossibly strong connection and can humanize their companion and make their protector do their bidding with mm. their love. One article I was reading compared it to the evolutionary trait where um, were aroused and attracted by the idea of being with those whose strength and cunning surpasses all of the other possible mates in the area. You know, it gives our offspring best biological chance and all that jazz. Um, beyond the taming of the beast, so you have this inner beast, you're taming it with your love, that's great, that's cool, whatever. You also have the idea of the werewolf being this unacceptable part of a society, mm -hmm. this otherness, this outsider. Um, and indeed, this is going to get very meta here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was thinking about this and just kind of typing. No, hey, that's the kind of stuff I love, at least. Um, the idea of the werewolf representing our own inner beast, mm -hmm. this hidden part of ourselves, the id, you know, think ego id, it's the id that's always spoiling for a fight. It's the gluttony and the anger and the greed and lust and violence and strength that all makes up kind of our less good selves, mm -hmm. right? Our worst selves. The physical transformation of the werewolf within the story, wait for it, could then be seen as a metaphor for the loss of control and the shift from our normal everyday selves into our other selves, into our id, like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Mm -hmm. It's a transformation into the monster that lives inside of us. You know what's interesting is there have been a lot of stories where that kind of loss of control was seen as a curse. Mm. And that you wake up with no memory in the middle Dr. of the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Blood, whatever. And... As awful as that is, I kind of wonder if there isn't something freeing in that you do these terrible things and it's out of your control. So as much as thinking like, oh, this is awful. I'm sure if I was a werewolf, I would not like it. But speaking to that darker side of you, maybe there's a part of you that just wants the, the choice to be taken away and just go exactly. wild. It's the duality of man, mm -hmm. right? It's giving into our inner beast. Mm -hmm. um, it's the idea that whether it's a curse or it's something you physically choose or you're born into it or you're cursed um, or you're bitten and you're forced to change. It's the modern concept of what it could mean to be bad versus what it means could mean to be good. We have this constant duality living inside ourselves, right? Um, I just made somebody very confused when I tried to explain this because, like, yeah, my right brain is saying this, but my left brain mm -hmm. is saying this. And they're like, Jackie, yeah. do you need a psychiatrist? No, and I was like, no, it's yeah. just my brain is fighting itself. Yeah. It's fine. See, I, I am do need a psychiatrist, of, but you know. I mean, I'm jealous of people that don't have that where they don't have that I know. kind of back and forth of what you should and shouldn't do. I know. But it's just interesting because. It's like we have this internal Jiminy Cricket, right? You have your conscience telling you what's good, what's bad. And in modern times, it can be such a gray area. And especially given whatever your culture is, wherever you are in the world, your age, all that sort of fun stuff. Pause because Jen's making me laugh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought I heard a noise. I thought maybe mom escaped. It's the ghost. Okay, good. It better be the ghost. I just had to check. It's hard, though, because she's short. Is this making sense, what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Okay, good. No, I mean, that's why I didn't add many notes aside from just feeling like... 
um, it's something that's kind of even changed today because I don't see as much of this yeah. struggle yeah. in modern stuff. And that's why I think – that's why I was saying, like, in modern times, we mm-hmm. don't see it as much because it is such a gray area. Mm-hmm. And we talk so much about mental health in today's world and, like, owning your inner self mm-hmm. and coming to terms with your inner child and it your feel, anger. It feels like a lot of the plots today, the, the werewolf character is going to be more self-accepting. Yeah. I feel like we've moved away from the plots where, oh, you were forcibly turned, you're struggling to learn how to live with it and to control it and to understand it. Now it's maybe people that knew what they were getting into, they were born into it, and they have different problems, and Mm -hmm. this is just, the beast is just part of them, and it's not a struggle, it's not something to hate about themselves anymore. Right. I've noticed that kind of trend happening in the last couple of years. And, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's the evolution in literature from the werewolf as a horror mm-hmm. character, a monster, into a ram- yeah. romance trope, into a romance hero or heroine. Most often, it's the hero. I'm sorry. Um, it's the evolution of our inner selves, the reader, mm-hmm. from thinking of our inner selves as the monster, thinking of this anger as the issue, as the root of the problem, into accepting it and learning to move on with it, and not romanticizing it, but kind domesticating of it. domesticating it. Yeah, I think too, just with our understanding of the world and our own lives our villains are changing yes so i'm seeing a lot more villains that are morally like, gray villain not even a morally gray villain but now you're going after the government you're going after yeah. the big business uh, somebody's like taxing you somebody's i really think like, that's why paranormal is making a big comeback it's like an authority thing I think yeah now. yeah yeah there's very much so i mean gen z is like down with the patriarchy Good man even more than us millennials yeah. are um and I really think that they, it's kind of feeding into the paranormal rise again mm-hmm. is that like with 9-11, we talked about there was this need for bigger plots, for world saving, for heroes yeah. who could go out and have the super strength to take down a mm-hmm. building, right? And now we're seeing that, but I think it's getting more, like Jen said, with the politics, yeah. with the intrigue, with the we mm-hmm. still need world saving. I think now we're humanizing who we always thought were monsters. Yeah. And instead we're going after the people that make the monsters. Yeah. That's good. That's a good way to put it. Thank That's you. what I try for. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. So let's move on from the meta. Let's get into other big tropes like faded mates in Paris. Yeah. Yeah. This is a fun one. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jen and I, as you guys know by now, we love Ice Planet Barbarians, Ruby Dixon. Mm-hmm. And this is one of her big things that she does. Yeah. Um, it's ba- Excuse me. I have hiccups. It's basically like a soulmate idea. Or it's similar to, like in Ruby Dixon, the Queen. Basically, a faded mate is someone who is destined to be your one true love, perfect mate, best yeah, offspring maker mm-hmm. etc a lot of it's it, destiny <laughs> it's destiny sword of destiny mm-hmm. anyways a lot of it does go back to the idea of procreation yeah. like with ice planet barbarians mm-hmm. um it's the idea that you're going to have the best possible offspring to help the species survive with the pairing and this, this environment you're mm-hmm. in and all that stuff there's a lot other woo-woo stuff with yeah. this idea such as the perfect person destiny mm-hmm. one half of true your soul. love you're the co- the person that compliments you the best because you're one half of the same mailage oh my god the same coal what did i say the same hole <laughs> i was trying to say whoa no, what no, i'm trying to say two sides of the same coin that was the phrase i forgot <laughs> can we cut that out <laughs> you didn't have to because my brain went between that and nodding <sighs> but <sighs> this is the one that really resonated with me <laughs> But um, if you just don't know, because, go read Ruby Dixon. Just because uh, this is one of my favorite tropes of all time. When I was doing research for this, this is the one I saw over and over again in a lot of werewolf articles, a lot of werewolf reviews that they love this concept of a faded mate. And it happens a lot in werewolf novels. I mean, 
at least the ones I read, tell me if there's some that aren't, but I feel like it is a major plot point that the, the werewolf hero has to go and find his mate. It's especially, sorry, I was looking at the boat that's driving by. Oh, you scared me. I was especially like, in the tradition. Well, I thought it was a ghost because it was like <laughs> behind the thing. I was like, oh my God, what is that? <laughs> Speaking of paranormal. Um, but I think, I mean, in today's world, everybody's looking for love, right? Well, not everybody, but a lot of people are looking for love, whether it be marriage, friendship, whatever. And everybody's kind of got this romantic idea. Not everybody again, but a lot of people have this romantic idea of there's one person out there that's perfect for you, that's going to accept you who you are, oh, just no so matter stupid. what. For me, it is not <laughs> my so horse. Stupid. It is my dog. <laughs> My dog gets me. She snuggles with me. It's great. Anna, oh, I guess you're my person too. So. If my perfect person is my dog. Oh, God. I don't know what that says I about am me. so sorry if for Lucky you. If Lucky is the other half of me. <laughs> uh, he's a werewolf. Mm. He's a were-dog. <laughs> he, he just shifts uh, into like a two-foot little yappity pull-up-pup. <laughs> he's so yappy. But I was thinking about this a lot. And I have a theory for why this has kind of become a werewolf thing. Okay. I think this actually plays into a lot of the false science we believe about wolf packs in real life. Go off, Jen. The actual wolf. Oh, I am. So I remember I'd been told years ago that wolves mate for life. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you'd ever heard that. Yeah, it's like swans and wolves and otters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that sort of sentiment plays really well with the faded mate trope. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I tried to Google that as a good librarian to see if it's true. I got a lot of articles that went back and forth if it actually happens. And as it turns out, it depends. There is a huge difference between wolves in the wild and wolves in captivity. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of what we assume about wolf packs is based off this sort of faulty research that only studied captive wolves. David Metch and Rudolph, I'm not going to try to say his last name. Okay. They were wolf researchers that really popularized this idea of a strict strength-based... I'm also just laughing because in your notes it got mad that you did were and wolf I know, I instead did. of werewolf. <laughs> I saw that I'm sorry. Continue. Okay. Where was I? Um, uh, Popular the okay. idea. Yeah. So David Metch and Rudolph whatever were wolf <laughs> researchers that really popularized this idea of a strict strength-based hierarchy of alphas, betas, and omegas. David Mitch in particular really was the person to talk about alpha males in his book, The Wolf, Ecology, and Behavior of an Endangered Species, which was published in 1970. He had done some research on wolves, again, where the wolves were stuck in captivity, and he based a ton of his work off of Rudolph's earlier work, where he had studied about 10 wolves con- stuck in an area about 10 by yeah. 20 meters. So Rudolph was studying a pack yeah. that was in the Zurich uh, Zoo? It was somewhere in Europe. Whatever. It was in Switzerland. So yeah, 10 to 20 meters. I looked that up because I don't know meters. It's like 65 feet. Yeah. That's it. By contrast, wolf, wolf, most wolf packs will control a territory of 50 to 1,000 acres. Mm-hmm. So this is a huge change. Yeah. It's not great science that this is what you're basing a lot of information off of. And I think because of the tightness, that's why they saw all these dominant in fights. The captive, in the captive wolf yeah, pack. Yeah, in the captive yeah. wolf pack. That's why there's dominance fights. That's why they saw these behaviors that forced wolves to keep each other in ranks. They saw that alpha couples were the only ones allowed to have litters. And actually, for all of the wolf's mate for life sentiment out there, the wolf would still mate with other females. So, Like lions. Yeah, yeah. so that that was false. It wasn't until David Mech spent actual time with wolves in the wild that he realized how badly he had screwed up. And when he started to study those wolves in the wild, he spent 13 summers, so much more time. He realized a lot of packs are actually just sets of parents with their pups. Yep. They're related. 
In captivity, that's not always true, and that's also what helps lead to the constant fight for dominance. But in a family, pups are just naturally submissive to their parents. That's just what happens. You yep. gotta listen to your mom and dad. You know, it sucks, but there it is. They're absolutely helpless and can't take care of themselves, so that's, again, just the way it is. The parents take care of the pups, and the pups listen to the parents. And it's usually a mated pair, yeah. one mated pair taking care of their litter. In places where there's a lot of territory, the packs will be really small, and the pups get independent pretty quickly. So they said maybe there would be, like... Part of it depends. Apparently, wolf pups die very easily. Yeah. But there would be maybe, like, three to four pups. So maybe you'd have, like, the new batch, and then you'd have a couple older adolescents. And they would stay until maybe they were two years old. Yeah. Same with horses. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But in the wild... Those are the ones who will stay with their partner until the partner dies. Yep. Barbara Zimmerman, who studied wolves in Scandinavia, said that 70% of GPS readings show couples stay within 100 meters of each other at all Aww. times. They are incredibly faithful and very dependent on each other. And I just to throw this out there, it will be different in places like Yellowstone, where there isn't as much ter- territory to spread out. There's a huge amount of prey density, so there's bigger wolf packs and families stay together longer. So in Yellowstone, young wolves will stay with their families for about four years compared to the Scandinavian two. But Yellowstone is a very unique case since wolves were only reintroduced in 1995 and the ecosystem is still getting back in check. Yep. yep. So you have to take some of this stuff with a grain of salt. There's a lot of, a lot of online debunking and confirming that wolves mate for life. Wolves in captivity seem less likely to do so. But if packs in the wild really are family pairs, then yeah, it seems more likely that they'll stick together until one of them dies. And there's also some evidence that, like, the daughter will get with the stepfather and, like, it seems, like, very... That's family. very, like, they keep it in indie the publishing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see how this inspires authors to fold a lot of faded mates trope into their work and why it's become such a thing in this subgenre in general, which I absolutely believe considering how much the idea of an alpha male has become the societal thing. Mm-hmm. So David Mech is still trying to get that earlier work debunked. Yeah, his uh, own earlier work. His own earlier work. He has such published articles and he's done all these papers and presentations and it really upsets a lot of people to hear that this is not true. Yeah. Which is really funny to me. So, you know, it's something he's working on. I like at least that we know that certain wolves mate for, for yeah. life. And um, it's actually really interesting that we kind of established this very harsh strength-based hierarchy just looking at these animals and i think we were kind of imprinting some of our own human values definitely especially when toxic masculinity exactly when they started talking about the pecking order too with chickens and how that also led to it and how um (laughs) ended ended up becoming a military thing that they actually use some of these dog training techniques like just in dog training training, it's like yeah it's crazy how the ripple effects of this kind of spread out yep so it that the rest of it was sad but you know, at least it gave us Omegaverse. Omegaverse <laughs> <laughs> eventually. It is really interesting. I think it does really show like human society. What's that? Th- is it anthropomorphizing? Mm. Yeah. Where like you put human traits on yeah. inhuman objects. Mm-hmm. I definitely think it's that. Yeah. Especially when it comes to toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. because it's this idea of big, strong, yeah. masculine men, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about with another trope here in a minute. And you know, wolves have always been so feared. I yeah. They've always get yes. brought in these characteristics of like being evil and like being strong and terrible, and it must have been very like ultimate easy. predator. Yeah, it must have been very easy to kind of assign these traits to again captive wolves that were pinned up and like on top of each other yeah and it's just really funny that this very specific thing had such reaching consequences i guess yeah so thanks david yeah so i was just came back but i was like trying to think of 
wolves and romance and werewolves and romance and this idea of alpha Mm -hmm. beta omega coming in and i was like trying to put it in a specific time frame but Mm -hmm. again we aren't really sure besides dennis danvers 1991 Mm -hmm. where werewolves really stepped into the romance sphere so i mean we talked about 9-11 and the need for like bigger heroes badder heroes like world savers and i wonder too if like how well this idea plays into that need after 9-11 where we need these really strong Mm -hmm. alpha leaders Mm -hmm. who are gonna take on the bad guys they're gonna you know Mm -hmm. they're gonna be our fated mates we're gonna be perfect for each other and we're gonna have the best offspring and we're gonna beat the bad guy for a certain type of person i could see how this sort of thinking is very comforting yeah to have these very established rules and packs and you know, if you're this strong, you'll be a beta. Or you're this strong, you'll be a gamma. And I can see what is attractive about it. Yeah, it's very strict. It's mm-hmm. very, like, rule-based. Like, you know, you know what's expected. Yeah. And I think, too, people liked the idea of an Omega, like, having a wolf you could pick on. Yeah, a built-in mm-hmm. bully. Yeah. Yeah. And that played into the Alpha Omega dynamics, too, which is just... Oh, we're sad. All right, so in riffing off of the idea of an alpha, <laughs> let's talk about alpha males. Because this is definitely a trope, even oh outside God. of Omegaverse. Yeah. I mean, the alpha male in romance is just, it's just an out established there. fact. Alpha hole is a whole is thing. A thing. <laughs> um, and one of my favorite books by Sarah J. Moss, it's the Crescent City book number one. There's a quote, don't mm-hmm. be an alpha hole. Yeah. I love it. I, I want a sticker of that. Anyways, um, it's not unusual to see fem- female werewolves. I'll say this before, like, yeah, starting this whole thing. But I will say um, werewolves are largely male. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the power thing, again, like again, strength. same thing with vampires. And masculinity. I don't know. All that fun stuff, Society is what it is. We can only do so much. So with an alpha male, so an alpha male, mm-hmm. just like with Omegaverse, it's short for a certain type of hero. Uh, confident, strong, involved, domineering, blah, blah, blah. And obviously this only works in romance and or when women talk about it because men in real life who describe themselves this way are the actual worst. They are. (laughs) And I totally stole that line from Jen. You did. I wrote that. Sorry about that. But it is true because if you have met a man who's like, I'm just such an alpha male, you want to punch him. I want to punch him so hard. my God. Just describing this fictional man. Jen and I would not do well in Omegaverse. (laughs) (laughs) So it only works in fiction. Yes. It's only a thing for fiction. Okay, I'm sorry, <laughs> alpha males out there. You're fake. I got told the other day I was stubborn by a man. I was like, heck yeah, I am. That's actually a compliment Thank you. Man. Thank you very much. <laughs> Anyways, in werewolf stories, the idea of alpha male has become both a title and a position and an actual leadership role. And even though, like Jen said, it's been debunked, the majority of werewolf romances still fall into this idea, even outside of Omegaverse. Werewolf packs have a very strict hierarchy of power and strength. They're usually large. There's usually a large and in charge male who is a werewolf, and he is usually attracted and or mated to a non-werewolf female who is l- more submissive. Mm-hmm. I will say BDSM also plays heavily into the werewolf yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now again, this is not a typical, not the typical rule. You know, male werewolf, female non-werewolf, but it is a usually followed trope. And it's a hilarious concept now that we've established alpha whale, alpha, alpha whales, whales. alpha whales. (laughs) Here's a new romance for (laughs) you. Alpha wolves are not a thing. Right. So I have a bone to pick with you, society. It goes back to the whole. Get it, bone. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, It goes back again, whole Omegaverse and the false pack of, uh, false idea of a pack dynamic. Um, 
That, okay, that's enough. So there's a pregnancy trope. Or no, sorry. There's an alpha male trope. Okay. Which plays into the next trope. Mm -hmm. The bad boy. We love a bad boy. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. If they're a good I bad know. boy. I could. I see what you mean by it. Go for it. Okay. So like I was talking about a little bit ago with the idea of the duality of man and kind of this idea of um, otherness and outsider, there's a otherness to werewolves. And a part of that really comes hand in hand with the idea of this society on the fringes of ours, this pack of strong heroes and heroines that lives on the outskirts of the law. Um, when motorcycle gangs and bikers were really popular, like mid 2000s, the classic rebel character became equated with these peripheral groups, which we can thank James Dean and rebel without a cause, which I've honestly never seen, but that's what everybody says. So it's cool. Um, but instead of, or in addition to leather jackets and tattoos and bikes, these bad boys are also covered in coarse fur and they live outside the law. I mean, I can see what you mean, but I feel like this kind of thing applies to a lot of supernatural creatures. Yeah, I don't know if I'd give it's it that to... otherness. See, I if I'm going to single out werewolves, I think it's something you said earlier about them being kind of like the rough, confident. Um, I don't I think I'd give them more specific characteristics outside of just like. I'm not saying know. this is only werewolves <laughs> and it's the only trope, but I'm saying especially like mid 2010s, yeah, like okay. I said, when biker gangs were big. Yeah, I could honestly, I would read a, a werewolf biker gang book. Oh dang it! Now I gotta find the one that I did. That'd read be once. really fun. I read a good YA one when it was like that, and then she never wrote the second one. Interesting. But yeah, so werewolves, outsiders, bad boys. Mm. I think it's easy to see. Yeah. Um, and. Before last, I have one extra one. Oh, a bonus one? The pregnancy trope. Do you trope. have a bun in the oven? No, thank God. <laughs> Sorry, but no. <laughs> that would be very unexpected. <laughs> um, call the Pope. No. The, un the pregnancy trope. This is really common in paranormal romance, not just werewolves, mm -hmm. and it usually goes by another name that we aren't going to say on a thank library you. podcast. I don't want to get fired so, um, The pregnancy trope tends to be a little bit of a darker theme contrary to what you would think with a name like that um and it's oftentimes related to a lot of dubious consent tropes mm -hmm. with werewolves though it's the idea that your mates to get pregnant and to procreate i think i don't read a lot of this so i mean yeah actually so you're right sometimes it can be dark and sometimes it's just like the werewolf alpha needs a hair air Air. Need, I mean, he needs lots of hair. He also <laughs> He's needs covered hair. in hair. He doesn't need more. And yeah, going into the faded mage trope thing, the only person you'll be able to get pregnant is your mate. So he needs to find her to have kids to help uh, extend his longevity in the pack. Uh, sometimes, too, they'll set it up so the werewolf pack is being um, endangered. I don't know if that's the right adjective to describe that. And they need lots of werewolf babies to save the species. Yeah. So it just depends. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. It's fun. I mean, if you want to go there, it can be seen as like a claiming. Like, I get the, the, the appeal. thing. The yeah. I mean, listen, we're not going to get too much into the appeal. The scent thing. I like my job. I'll leave it there. Thank you. You're welcome. But uh, I think, uh, you know what else I'd like to claim? What? A lumber sexual. Oh, I love the lumber sexual I just wanted trope. to give you a good segue. There Thank you go. You. That was my good. gift That's too. good. Um, yeah. So this is probably my favorite werewolf trope because I love like the outdoorsy aesthetic, mm. being in a cabin in the woods aesthetic. Um, and that leads us right to the lumber sexual. We said this a little bit in the last episode where there's one article I read that equated vampires to metrosexuals and werewolves <laughs> to lumber sexuals, aka outdoorsy manly man. There's kind of toxic masculinity in there. Yeah. Usually bearded, strong, brawny man type. He's got calculated look of 
ruggedness and heteronormative manliness. Which, okay, sure, whatever. In my mind, it's basically a guy living out in a cabin in the middle of the woods. He's a recluse. He's usually a grump. We all know I love a grump and sunshine book. And I think that the werewolf lends itself very well to that. If we go back to this original idea of the werewolfism, lycanthropy as a curse, Mm. where they don't want this. They're afraid to hurt anybody. They just want to be out on their own. And so they're out there. They're living in a cabin. And when they change, they have a whole entire forest to go do their own thing in. Mm. And that's the, yeah. That's beautiful. Thanks. I like it because I hate vampire books. <laughs> I'm so sick of them. I'm so sorry. But they keep coming out. And I'm like, I'm, I'm tired of the vampire that's books. Fair. I like the contrast between the vampires and the werewolves. Yeah. Like, they very much feel like they're mirrors of each other. Yeah. I think it's also, too, because I'm, a, like, an outdoorsy person. And I like to be out in the woods. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like, like I said, I like the whole aesthetic of the outdoorsy lumbersexual. Yeah werewolf i guess even though i hate and you know with both of them there's kind of this idea of loneliness yeah that i really like because the vampire is going to live forever the werewolf is being hunted it's being like it's out of control it needs like sasquatch like we would have found a sasquatch (laughs) there would be a if you do like a weird sasquatch i'd be so mad at you where yeti yeah listen if they have dragon shifters why can't why can't there be a yeti form Okay. Why haven't you brought up that yet, Jackie? Maybe there's Yeti people walking out there. Maybe because I've been too focused on werewolves and witches. Okay. Anyways. But yeah, so there's lumbersexual, which Mm -hmm. is fun. Um, Yeah. Okay. That's it. Okay. I guess. There's a lot more tropes we could go into, but we've already been talking for over an hour and we don't want to like bore you guys. Mm Because we're probably getting close to Are you still listening? I think um, for my final thoughts, if I can wrap this up for you. I am really happy with where werewolves have come from, mm-hmm. and I'm really excited about where they can go, because I think if they start applying some of this new knowledge that we have, I would really love to see a werewolf book that actually followed what we know about wolves. Yeah. So I would love to see something where the plot wasn't so pack-focused and this dominance thing, and I gotta be the alpha and kill everybody. Gotta, I'd like to really see like what it would look like to have like just this pack and be more supportive of each other and... Band of Brothers. Yeah. I think that'd be yeah. interesting. I was trying to think. I feel like I've read something like that, but it's probably not werewolves. Mm. It was probably some other short. Oh, I was thinking of the Bear Shifters. Oh, yeah. From Sherilyn Kenyon? No, she didn't do any Bear Shifters. Where oh, did... are you thinking of Ruby Dixon? Ruby Dixon. Yeah, she did that. Yeah, shift. there we go. That's yeah. right. Yep. Um, yeah, that was great. I wish that we had more of that stuff where everybody yeah. is just like, it's a community. They're supportive of each other. I feel like a lot of these werewolf stories, they end up being about a lot of blood and guts. Yeah. And, uh, like a struggle. And I think there's other ways to be human, and there's other ways for us to form a community and to, um, there's other, we have other natures. I think that's my point. Yeah. It is not all just violence and domination. It's also, we create with each other. We tell stories to each other. We build things with each other. It can't all be that. Otherwise, what's been the point? Yeah. That's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to keep reading werewolf books. (laughs) I just downloaded that one I told you guys about. Mm -hmm. Um, They're fun. So we'll make sure to put a couple extra recommendations Mm -hmm. in the show notes. Again, if you don't know what show notes are, they're going to be, if you're on Apple Podcasts, just scroll down on the episode description. Um, If you're online, it says show notes. Just just click the show notes button. It's it's right there. All Mm -hmm. the links are there. Yeah. So, yeah. Beautiful. All right. Any Jen. final thoughts, Jackie? No. Cool. I'm glad I had the last word this yes, time. Yes, <laughs> there you go. And you will have many words next time. <gasps> you know what we're doing next time? Scandal. 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 Yeah, <gasps> so I'm not sure how we're going to break the... the I'm not Are sure. we, aren't we doing a competition? 
I want to do a competition, yeah, but I'm thinking, how am I going to stretch that over too? So we'll I see what it looks like. Think but we I won't have any issues. That's fair. What I really want to do is I want to see between the two of us who can describe the worst scandal yes. that has happened in Romance Landia. Come up with the worst Romance Landia scandal. Because there have been a bunch of them. There like, have been. As much as I love the genre and the community, I mean, we could be real petty. Yeah. We could be really stupid and cruel and mean. And uh, I think we should explore some of that for just a little bit of fun. That's definitely going to be petty. So just so you're aware. Excited. All right. Well, we should give it a good, good old Jen. What do we always say? (laughs) (laughs) That was lame. I'm sorry. Bye, guys. (laughs)